0: And verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. So my title for this portion of our study of the book of Colossians, verses 12 through 17, is called in one body. We have been called into one body. In scripture, sometimes the word body, which refers to the church, can speak, although very rarely, to a universal body where you have the general assembly and the firstborn who are in Christ. So anywhere on the planet where you find a Christian, a believer, you have found a brother or sister in Christ, no matter their nationality, no matter where they're from, no matter what their story is. If the grace of God has touched their lives and they trust in Jesus, they are part of the larger body of Christ. But most of the time when Paul uses the word church, ecclesia, or in this passage body, he's referring to the outpost of that larger body. The visible expressions of the larger body called the local assembly, the local called out assembly, which is called the church or the body. Now we know this because Paul writes his letter in verse 2 of chapter 1 where he says to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. So he focuses his attention with this letter to a specific called out covenanted body of saints, faithful brethren in Christ Jesus who are at or in the city of Colossae. So we're talking about local churches here like Heritage and any other local church on the planet where God is present and in that church. But then Paul says they were called into one body. To be called most of the time in the Bible to be summoned, to be invoked is to be called effectually, irresistibly by the grace of God. Even our covenant reads having been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and have given ourselves to the Lord and to one another in a gospel church way. So to be called effectually out of the darkness into the light, and then by that call we we surrender all to Christ, we give ourselves to Christ, the upshot according to Paul in the Bible is then we give ourselves to one another. Remember Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, he's expressing this reality when he uses the churches of Macedonia and how the grace of God was bestowed or seen visibly in them as he encourages the church at Corinth to be like this, to rely upon God's grace. And he says, This we had hoped, which they did not only in giving themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So the churches of Macedonia gave themselves first to the Lord after being effectually called But then they gave themselves to Paul in the ministry and to one another. So as we look at this passage or these passages this morning, I want us to think in terms of what it means to be called into one body and how, Lord willing, we can grow in being one body together. Where we not only are church attenders, right? Sometimes we fall into the trap of just being... Attenders at church. Where do you attend church? That's good, but this is passages calling us to be participants in the church body. So we move from being just attenders every Sunday morning to some way being participants in a body together. So, five things today, this morning, and this afternoon, we'll look at five things, five ways we can grow in being participants because we've been called effectually to be part of one local assembly many on the planet so we'll take a step back as we move forward and first let's look at the fact that we've been called into one body to have a new identity and how that identity is to shape life in the church so again in verse 11 Paul says where there is neither that is where this new man is this new image it's found in a new community where there were twain now, Ephesians 2. God is making one new man out of twain, one new man. Where? There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore, and here's your identity. You've been chosen by God. You've been made holy by God, and you are the beloved of God. Therefore, be this kind of church on the basis of who you are now in Christ, where Christ is all and in all. Paul is saying, not that we no longer have any other kind of identity. A Greek man was still a Greek man, and a Jew was still a Jew in one sense. But Paul is saying, in the church, these things no longer define us, nor they divide us. Because these are the very issues that divided people in their day, and there are many issues that can divide Christians today. But in the body of Christ, these things are no longer to separate and divide. Why? Because Christ is all in the body. He's everything to us, and He's in all. No matter what human distinctives still remain, from the color of our skin to our nationalities, which we observe and recognize. We must remember, as we've stated in the past, we're living in a day where men are expressing their identity in ways that they have never done. Identity is the place you go to where you want to find meaning, significance and fulfillment. Today, as we've quoted before, Carl Truman writes in his book, The Rise and the Triumph of the Modern Self, that men now have turned, men and women, to finding their fulfillment in an identity that's rooted in one's own pleasures, what one feels. So the pathway to fulfillment is the pathway where the individual self is expressed based on one's inward feelings and how they define themselves. Totally disregarding external objective reality or any consciousness or morality that once existed. Now that's faded away in our culture. Even to the point that it's taking on bizarre expressions. Just last month in Berlin, Germany, there was a protest of hundreds of people outside of a A train station, who were protesting animal rights for dogs. Not animal rights for animals, but for those who wanted to identify themselves as dogs. And they were literally barking and howling, dressed up as canine. Now you and I can smile at that and laugh at that, but this bizarre expression of the individual person is now pushing so hard primarily through the sexual revolution, as we see all around us, that now a person believes they can only find fulfillment and authenticity by not only expressing whatever those inward desires are, but having no opposition to it whatsoever. And you see our culture capitulating to that way of living. Identity. Now when we think about that in terms of our culture, the church now has the opportunity as it's marginalized and ostracized and slowly being persecuted to reveal and to express where true identity is found, in this new image, in this new man that is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's by putting on Christ Jesus the Lord in all That we do. It's where this new image is found. It's where Christ is in all and is all, and where Christ now is becoming our true identity. Where the world looks on at the church and they see fulfillment is not found in expressing yourself in your own desires and feelings, but the identity that's found in Christ alone. Now, with this new identity that we have in Christ, we have a new purpose. So when Paul says we're to see ourselves as the elect of God, as holy and beloved, he is conveying the reality of what this new identity means for the church. How does it impact? What are the implications of life with believers in a local assembly who are defined, shaped, and find their fulfillment out of Christ, knowing that God has chosen them, which means more than to salvation, gloriously it does, it means to a purpose that He's called us to be in one body, one church. We've been chosen by God. We are holy. That is, by being united to Christ, we're complete in Him, so positionally we are fully, completely in the eyes of God. hagiadzo or Hagiaz, holy, saints. Paul called this church saints and faithful brethren. The holy ones At the church at Colossae. It's been imputed, it's derived from being attached to Christ. And then we move on to practice holiness by the same instrument whereby we receive Christ's holiness and righteousness, which is faith in Jesus Christ. And then the wellspring of the first two is the perfect passive verb, having been loved by God, a completed action when? Forever. At what point did God start loving you? A completed action in eternity. Having been loved, complete finished, done. What's the ongoing result of the perfect tense? He keeps on loving you. Would you want to base God's Perseverance in loving you on your love for Him? On how well you do? See, the perseverance of God's love for you is based on God's commitment to His holy name, His commitment to Jesus Christ and the gospel, which works itself out in His commitment to you. This is a, a strong place to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Not our love for Him. Because it's, it waxes and wanes, it goes up and it goes down. But God's constant love for you is based on the fact that He loved you out of His own good pleasure. And out of the wellspring of that love, He has chosen you and made you holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now if you look at this in the book of Ephesians, Paul used the same three words where he expands there to give us greater insight into how these three words express the purpose of God so listen to Paul as we think about our new identity and how that works out in this new purpose in one body together Paul would say in Ephesians 1 4 according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world so put on therefore as the elect of God you've been chosen that we should be holy put on therefore as the elect of God Holy, That we should be holy without blame before Him in love. There's the wellspring. Chosen to be holy out of His love. A completed action in the past. But now Paul, Paul goes on to see the, the aim of those three words. In love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ unto Himself according to the good pleasure of His will wherein He has made us accepted and the it, in whom you have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Now verse 9 begins to really unpack this purpose. Wherein the riches of His grace He has abounded toward the church at Heritage in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to you the mystery of His will. Wisdom and insight. God has opened up the windows of heaven in His purpose and He's deposited through the Holy Apostles and the Prophets through the Word and He's given us insight as to what this election and being holy and being loved by God, being brought into a family where that family is expressed through local outposts called the church. Therefore, He's revealed to you the mystery of His will which is that Jews and Gentiles Come into the church where there's what? No Greeks, no Jews, no circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. But Christ is all in in all in the church, so that, verse 10 of Ephesians 1, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in himself, whether they be in heaven or in earth, even in him. That passage for which those three words in Ephesians 1 are moving towards is that in the dispensation of the completion of the ages past, which has happened at the coming of Christ. We know that in Galatians 4, four, But when the fullness of the time was come, what did God do? He sent forth His Son, made under a woman, under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons having completed the ages past, Christ was sent, died buried, resurrected, seated at the right hand of God. For what purpose? He might gather together in one. That gathering began while He was on the earth and when He sat down at the right hand of the Father. That gathering, that word means to condense into a summary which we've noted before, to condense into a focal point, to give a sharp crisp focal point in everything and where will that focal point most vividly be seen today? In his body, the church of Jesus Christ. The fullness of him that is filling in all. All in all. It's in the body where Paul says to the intent that under principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known through the church the manifold wisdom of God the great purpose of god for choosing you and making you holy having loved you and called you out of darkness into light and put you in a body is so that his wisdom could be put on display from the highest beings the angelic host all the way down to the earth so when the focal point of god's glory becomes focused through his wisdom in the church We are fulfilling our purpose, little by little, growing into that purpose that God has called us to, where Christ, Colossians 118, is to have the preeminence in all things. Where does Christ first get the preeminence in everything? And he's the head of the body, which is the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in all things he might have preeminence. So Paul is unpacking through verses 12 through 17 how Christ gets the preeminence and how the focal point of his glory is seen in the wisdom of God and put on display as the church is called to be a singular body of believers serving, exhorting, loving and being to one another what God called us to be, So that we are no longer just church attenders. We are participating in a body where Christ gets the preeminence. And He's gathering the elect family of God in, calling them out of darkness into the light. And they're gathering together in local assemblies all over the planet so that they and we can be the elect of God, holy and beloved And therefore, out of this identity, out of this purpose, what do we do? We put on the very image of Christ. So, having this new identity that every believer has, having this new purpose that the church now has, what's the second thing that will help us grow in being one body? We are called to connect with one another, we are called to make a connection. Now, First, let me show you verse 12 again, and then we'll use Colossians 2.19 kind of as an overlay to this verse. So Paul says, Put on, therefore, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, longsuffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, once again, Paul is expanding here what he said in one verse in Colossians 2.19. So we could take Colossians 2.19 and lay it as an overlay to these verses and it will shed light on what Paul is saying in verses 12 through 14. So listen to Colossians 2.19 again. So those false teachers that are troubling the church at Colossae, they are not holding the head which has the body that we've been called in 2 and verse 15. They are not seizing, grasping, or in possession of the head. From which all the body, by means of joints and bands, having nourishment ministered, and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. So with that verse, Paul is saying, they don't hold on to the head, but when you're holding on to the head, church, what's happening? First, there's increase with the increase of God. God causes the church to increase. This increase is not first and foremost numerical increase. It's the kind of increase we see in verses 12 through 14. It is not first numerical increase. This building could be full of people wall to wall and still verses 12 through 14 not happening and there would be no growth. This building could be bulging with people, and there would be no increase with the increase of God. That kind of increase is good, and that's where this is going. But Colossians 2.19 is not talking about that kind of growth. It's talking about gospel growth. Growth in the knowledge of the Son of God, the kind of prayer that Paul prayed in Colossians 1.10-12 increasing, growing in the wisdom and knowledge of God in the body. All right, now here's the question. If God aims to increase us with that kind of increase, how is he going to do it? Well, we know we need the head because the body does not move without the head. So this increase comes by being attached to the body. But notice the passage and how Paul lays it out. It's through joints and bands and then two participles having nourishment ministered, being knit together, then you're increased. This increase only comes by means of joints and bands, and that's what you are. The word joints can literally be translated connection. Bands could be ligaments, like the connective tissue in your body. Bones, that's one form of connective tissue. Ligaments, cartlets, If you have no connective tissue, the body ceases to move. You don't go anywhere. Beloved, if the connective tissue of the church called joints and bands are not connecting, the church moves nowhere. It doesn't move in terms of growth. This connection goes far beyond what you're doing right now because you're not connecting. Yeah. We would all agree with that. It's what happens outside of the worship service. That God aims to increase the body with growth in the head by means of joints and bands connecting. For if they're disconnected, they will never grow. You cannot grow in isolation. Do you believe that? You cannot grow in isolation. Okay, let me prove that to you. Now, taking that overlay right on top of verses 12 through 14, let's see what joints and bands do that if they're not doing, there's no growth. All right, we'll look at them in three groups. Put on therefore a heart of compassion, vows of mercy, and kindness. Now, I could sit back there in my office like I normally do week to week. By myself. And I could ask myself, Mike, do you think you're a compassionate guy? I think I'm pretty compassionate. I mean, I feel sympathy for people. How do you know you're compassionate? Only when you move out in kindness. The word kindness means usefulness. Benevolence. The only way I can know and put on kindness, the only way I can grow in kindness is to connect with you. If I don't connect, I'll never be kind. Because you cannot be kind alone. You can't grow in isolation. You have to be with the body. And we're called in one body to put on the new man, for which this new man, which is really putting on Christ... Cannot grow in isolation. We must connect in order to increase with the increase of God. Jesus in Matthew 14, 14, which is the embodiment of these fruits or these character traits. And what we're doing is we're embodying Christ to one another, aren't we? We are to be the Christ incarnate to the world. When they look at the church, they're to see the image of Christ being displayed in our being things to one another. So Jesus in Galilee, He's got a multitude of people following Him as He always did. And Matthew records in verse 14 of chapter 14, He saw a great multitude and He was moved with compassion. He felt He was sympathetic. He he felt it when He looked at the multitude. Now how do we know Jesus is really compassionate? Because then He healed their sick. He moved out in kindness. He moved out with usefulness, and He was benevolent, so He healed their sick. He saw, He was moved, and then He was kind. You see these two Greek words together more specifically in Luke 6.35, in His version of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is recorded there saying, "...but love ye your enemies, do good, lend hoping for nothing in return, and your reward shall be great." and you will be the children of the highest. And what that doesn't mean is that loving anybody will earn a reward, and it will bring you into being a child of the Most High God. It means you're seen to be one of gods when you love your enemy, and when you do good, and when you can lend, hoping, expecting nothing in return. Now, why should you do that? For he is kind. God is kind. He's useful, He's good, He's benevolent to the thankful and to the evil. Matthew 6, the sun shines and the rain trickles down on the just and the unjust. He's kind to everyone. He's benevolent. How do you know God is kind? Did you eat this past week? Did you enjoy the sun's rays? That's how we know He's kind. kind. Now, where is this kindness rooted? Therefore, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Those are the same two Greek words. God's mercy, His compassion is seen in His kindness that goes out. And He fills every human being's heart with food and gladness. He's not left Himself without witness, Acts 14, in that He has done good, He's been kind. So the call to the church is to put on compassion, and then that compassion expresses itself in kindness or usefulness, which means I cannot grow in kindness without you, and you can't grow without me and one another. You'll never grow in the new man until you connect as a joint and a band. Then what happens? God increases the body with the increase that comes from God. Beloved, we live in a culture that we are tempted every day to be isolated and divided. Do you not feel that struggle? Do you not feel the struggle of pursuing, being drawn to pursue the pleasures of the world and making that your commitment, that that is what drives you, and then all you have time to do is attend church on Sunday morning? It it tempts all of us to be church attenders. Well, here's the upshot, you won't grow. None of us will grow. It's only through joints and bands, the connected tissue of the body of Christ, that we receive nourishment and we're knit together from the head. So, what are you doing to connect and be useful to one another? Are you being useful? Are you being kind? Are you benevolent in the body of Christ? Are there not all kinds of opportunities that we can show to one another? To be kind. All right, that's the first pair. Next pair is humbleness of mind and meekness. Humbleness of mind means to have a sense of your own littleness. Now that can sound kind of despairing or paralyzing, but when you think about where that comes from, it, it really gives a kind of confidence that's not found in yourself. Now remember the guys that are the false teachers. What's their problem? Let no man beguile you in your reward through a voluntary humility, worshiping of angels, intruding into those things they've not seen vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. They're inflated with a sense of their own bigness or self-importance. Now why? They don't hold the head. They don't see Him, they don't know Him, they don't trust Him. Now, for you, because you're holding the head, you have a sense of your own littleness because you see the supremacy of Christ laid out magnificently in Colossians 1. His supremacy in redemption, in creation, in the church, in preeminence, in reconciliation. So by seeing the head, you have a sense of your own littleness, which is not paralyzing. It's confidence-inspiring because you're seeing Him. So this is not a despairing look at yourself and someone that is turned in on themselves, but it's the ability to see Christ that, that shows us His significance and then brings about our own littleness in relation to Him. Now, when do you know That you really have the right sense of your own littleness when you're being meek in the body. Meekness. That's a relational term. The joints and bands can't put on meekness unless they're what? Connecting. Because meekness is not an isolated virtue. It's something that's going out to people. And there's no way you can be meek unless you're connecting with someone in the body. Meekness is a gentleness and a mild disposition toward other people. See, when you lose your sense of self-importance in the light of Christ, now you're more concerned about the spiritual health and the souls of the people God has placed in your presence. You see that with Timothy, where Paul told Timothy, he was to not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach and patient, meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Timothy, don't strive. Don't get upset. Don't get mad. Be meek, instructing those that oppose themselves. Peradventure, God will grant them repentance of the acknowledging of the truth. Now rest assured, those that are opposing themselves are opposing Timothy. If Timothy sees himself as kind of self-important, you know, God made me the pastor of the church at Ephesus and we're going we're to get to the bottom of this. Now he's concerned about what? His own significance and how others see him rather than the souls of the people that are opposing themselves. So in meekness, even though he may be pummeled with criticism, he keeps instructing in mildness and in gentleness and with a firm, steady voice because he knows that if these people are going to repent, God is going to do it. So he's speaking in a manner that is in harmony with how God works through the gentle, meek proclamation of the Word through instruction. Or in Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear you one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Meekness. Proud people are always unleashing their anger to defend their self-importance and their significance. You're not going to talk to me that way. You're not going to treat me that way. I guess because I'm so significant. Who am I that you can't treat me that way? Who am I that you can't talk to me that way? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Proud people unleash their anger to defend their sense of self-importance. Meek people are more concerned about the souls of the brothers and sisters who need restoration than they are about their own self-importance and significance because they're holding the head. And so by joints and bands, meek people Are connecting and being a source of grace as an instrument in God's hand to restore and to encourage and to exhort one another. So, how do you know you're humble? When you're being meek. And meekness is always found relationally in restoration and instruction. In all the ways the Bible says meekness expresses itself. And how did Jesus express his meekness as the the weak and lowly lamb, who's meek and lowly and gentle in heart? He invited people to himself. And out of that meekness, he he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. His burden is easy, or his burden is light, and his yoke is easy. His yoke is, is benevolent. Is the word. It's the same word for kind. His yoke is benevolent. His burden is light. He doesn't lay burdens on people. He bears burdens. He doesn't lay burdens. Why? Because he's humble and his humility expresses itself in meekness. And how does that meekness express itself? He goes out and bears burdens, he doesn't lay them on people. Are you a burden bearer? Are you and I more interested in? restoration than we are, our own sense of self-importance. Well, that meekness will work itself out through joints and bands in the body. And then what's happening, the body's being edified. It's increasing. And the last pair, or three, we'll put three together here. Long-suffering. Long-suffering for bearing one another and forgiving one another. Long-suffering means first to, to endure, to be patient, to persevere, then it means to be slow in avenging wrongs. Slow in avenging wrongs, slow to avenge and to lash out to other people. Paul would tell Timothy to preach the word, "Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, all long-suffering, complete, total long-suffering. Timothy, you've got to be long-suffering with people. Paul would tell the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Brethren, I I exhort you to warn the unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient to all men, which suggests what? To all of them. One of the most essential ministries in the church of Jesus Christ is discipleship. Therefore, it requires patience, long-suffering. Any given time, any one of us could be unruly, which can mean idle. Have you ever been idle in the kingdom of God? Or maybe out of step? So what does that take? Long-suffering with one another. I need people to be long-suffering with me. Warn me. Comfort the feeble minded, which is the disheartened or the discouraged. Is anybody in the body ever discouraged? Joints and bands are being long suffering to one another, and they're comforting. If you don't have long suffering, you try it one time, you're like, I've had it with that. Not trying to help them anymore. No, suffer long with one another. Because that's the means God uses to increase with the increase of God. Joints and bands, we're connecting. And support the weak. Someone's doubting, someone's struggling, someone's in a trial. Maybe they're doubting the love of God. Maybe maybe they wonder why this is happening. and, And the joint comes in and supports, supports. And all that's done through patience, Paul says. See, Long-suffering is something you express toward another joint in a band. And the bind, it's the connective tissue that binds us together. Without it, you can't do it in isolation. Who are you being patient to? And in isolation, if we're just church attenders, what happens? We don't grow. We don't have any gospel growth. But through this, We're growing up into the head in all things, Ephesians 4.15. We're growing up into Christ as the body is fitly joined together, compacted, being joints and bands. What's happening? The body's growing up into Christ, and the wisdom of God is being put on display, and we're showing to the world a new identity where real fulfillment doesn't come in our distorted desires, but it comes through holding the head and the body, being these joints and bands to one another, and God puts His glory in Christ on display through this connectivity. And then what does long-suffering do? Long-suffering allows us to be forbearing, which means to hold oneself back or to be restrained. So long-suffering, hold back, hold oneself firm against what? Shouting and yelling and retaliating and all the things that we as proud people do. Because you've attacked my sense of self-importance. And then forbearance to one another allows what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. If any man has a quarrel against any, forgive. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now I think that's the last one before love, which binds it all together. The last one because when the body is connecting in mercy and kindness... Humility and meekness, long suffering, forbearing, and there's a lot of connectivity going on. Guess what? There's a lot of offending going on. Maybe you haven't had the chance to forgive anybody because you're not connecting. Just being with each other is going to give us plenty of opportunity to say the wrong, insensitive, callous thing that we do. And so, long-suffering leads to forbearing, then leads us to forgive and speak those words that the world needs to hear. You just don't hear it in the world, do you? You hear vengeance, you hear hatred, you hear malice, you hear criticism, but you don't hear much forgiveness except in the church of Jesus Christ. People take note of that. A young man who plays football for a college team, he was hit in the kidney by a player who put him out for two games. And he was a star player. I mean, they don't win without this guy. He has since gotten in touch with a young man and befriended him to let him know all is well. And the articles that are being written about it, because everybody's taking note, I'm sorry I didn't follow up to see if the man's a Christian or not, but I think there's some elements I've seen on the team that the coach might be and could be. But think about that. It is drawing attention because that is not of this world. They expected him to be harsh and mad <clears throat> and want to get revenge. But now they formed a, a friendship. How much more should that be seen in the church of Jesus Christ? Where there's forgiveness that is flowing out of long suffering, and forbearance and forgiving. Now what's the point here? When we lay the overlay of verse 19, chapter 2, on top of this, we see that joints and bands are connecting, and then through the joints and bands we have nourishment ministered from the head and we're knit together and God increases us. And now we see the joints and bands are doing what? Connecting. Through these fruits of the spirit so let us be a body that's called in one body to connect and then the last one above all all these things put on love which is the bond of, of perfectness or completeness love could tie all the virtues together i think that's part of it but paul is concerned about something else being tied together people that formerly hated each other greeks and jews wouldn't speak to each other, have nothing in common. He wants those people to be tied together in love. Love is like the lecithin in food that binds the water and the fatty components and keeps them together. But the love that binds us is the love of Christ that constraineth us. It drives, it compels us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead and that He died for all, that they which live should no longer live for themselves, being drawn out into the world, and just being church attenders, but for Him that died and rose again for them. It's the love of Christ that comes into the body, binds us together, so that joints and bands are reaching out in the body and connecting with one another. And so Paul says, above everything, have the love to one another. But the world will notice it comes from the love of God, which constrains us with an irresistible beauty. His love for us at the cross. He's purchased you to live for Him, called into a body and to connect. So in closing, two things here that will be required from us. One, it's going to require sacrifice and self-denial, isn't it? Who can deny that? When I leave here, you leave here, there are a thousand things beckoning you and calling you. A thousand pleasures, a thousand activities. It's going to require self-denial, or it's not going to work. The most often looked facet of holiness is self-denial. Peter would say, you remember, in 1 Peter 1.13, or, or 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lust and your ignorance, but as he which calls you holy, be holy. Now if you're not going to fashion or shape your life anymore after those former lusts of the old man, when you didn't know Christ, what's that going to require? Self-denial. Death. Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Put it to death. And self-denial. See, if you tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming, unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, then you're coming as lively living stones, and you're being built up a holy priesthood, as we sang, a royal palace being built for God to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we're being drawn to the living stone as lively stones, which we've been given a lively hope in Jesus Christ. To participate in this building project where we're joints and bands in the body is going to require, it demands. If these spiritual sacrifices are to take place, then I must sacrifice. I must deny myself all the things that can push into my schedule that's going to keep me from connecting with you. And there are thousands. Don't you feel the weight of it? Some good, some not so necessary. What's going to make the difference when you walk out here today? What's going to to help you start connecting? You sacrifice. But Jesus says, if you're a follower of mine, take up your cross daily, die to yourself and follow me. That is Christianity 101. That's not elitism. That's what everybody has to do. Secondly, it's going to require us to be deliberate and intentional. Deliberate and intentional. See, when I leave here, there could be a possibility that I don't think about you again till next Sunday because I see you. Unless I'm intentional. And I get out my calendar like all of you have. Right? And you start thinking of ways you can connect. And you won't just attend anymore because you'll be a connector, a joint, a band, a ligament. How am I going to connect? Or as Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke in love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together some manner, uh, some do, but exhorting one another daily. So assembling is good. There is attendance there. So don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That is attendance, but he says to do more. Now, think about one another. How you can stir to love and to good works. And then you'll speak to one another. So the writer in Hebrews is suggesting that if you're going to stir and connect and be a joint in a band, you're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to consider one another. You're going to have to say, who can I connect with this week? Who can I go to lunch with? Who can I speak a word to? Who's hurting in the body? Who's in a trial? Who needs restoration? Who can I gently encourage? Who's weak? Who's faint hearted? Who needs support? Who needs help? Who needs to be, uh, who do you need to be benevolent to? So, in all those ways, as you know as well as I do, they will not happen unless we become deliberate, intentional living stones where we think, like we think through our schedule each week, what we're going to do. And now God is calling us today. When you lay out that schedule, put aside some of those activities which you'll need to sacrifice. 4 You'll need to use self-denial and put in its place, just little by little, being a joint and a band and connecting in a way because we're called into one body. Called into one body. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. We confess, Lord, our sins. We confess how easy it is for us. Though we love you and though we want to be the church you call us to be, to be so pulled away by things of the world, by the comforts, by the conveniences, and then by all the things we have to do to preserve those comforts and conveniences. And it fills our schedules, our minds, our thoughts. So Lord, help us just in this next week to start thinking in terms of what you call us to be in one body with a new identity and a new purpose that you've given us through Christ. And in this new purpose now, We are called to be joints and bands so that we can increase with the increase of God. And through this growth, we are connecting. We are denying ourselves. And we are being deliberate and intentional. So Lord, the weight of this just drives us back to you. This is not possible without you. The weight of what you call us to be drives us back into the arms of Christ where we say to you and ask you, Lord, make this a reality. Stir our affections. Stir our hearts. Stir us with your glory and the preeminence of Christ in such a way that this would be more of reality. Lord, we see it. I've seen it here. Make it more and more reality in the love we have to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.